welcome to yet another edition of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. My name is Blake Anderson, coming to you today from beautiful, very sunny Victoria, British Columbia. Yeah, what an absolutely gorgeous week we're having right now in this part of the world. We're going into a bit of an early heat wave, and after the cold, damp winter we've had, I'm welcoming this with open arms. Uh, for those of you who know me, I'm a cold water swimmer, so I swim year-round in these frigid waters down on Dallas Road in Victoria. Um, this time of year, when it's a little bit warmer out, I feel slightly more normal doing so. And Actually, yesterday I was down there and was joined by a few folks, so that's always nice to have a little bit of company down there. Uh, anyways, on to our latest podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be taking a bit of a turn here. We're going to be heading away from speaking about substance use and explore the subject of process or behavioral addiction. So this refers to behavioral problems that involve a lessening of control, persistent seeking, and significant harm, even though no addictive substance is involved. So these behaviors can include technology, sex, shopping, gambling. All of these can be very normal endeavors, but process addiction is characterized by the compulsive nature of the behavior. So I'm really lucky to have on the program today two members of our Umbrella team, Zach and Emmett. These two amazing and bright individuals work as community outreach workers, but they also co-facilitate our behavioral addiction Zoom group on Thursday nights. So Zach and Emmett, they bring their post-secondary specializations as well as their lived experience with process addiction to the table. They have created a presentation on the nature of addiction, which draws parallels between all addiction and suggests consistent interventions for any addiction an individual may be facing. So they've brought this presentation to participants of our one-month intensive recovery group, also named Comfortably Unnumb. Uh, they've brought this to our staff and to other frontline workers, uh, to youth and to their parents, um, to the student body at UVic. And I've had the pleasure to observe their presentation on more than one occasion. I've been incredibly impressed with the universal concept that they have been able to capture. So it is my absolute pleasure to have them on the program today. Okay, Zach and Emmett, thank you so much for coming on to the program. I think we're, we're off the races. This is, uh, I think, maybe pod six or seven now. I, I don't know how many casts we've actually done, but we've been wanting to get you on almost from the get-go. Um, obviously, this is kind of a, a part of addiction that, that we don't talk about as much, which is behavioral addiction and process addiction, but uh, obviously incredibly important and something that touches so many uh, people out there. Um, you, you guys have been, you know, the last few years have a lot of experience going and speaking to different groups uh, in the community and doing presentations to our staff and to our clientele in, in some of our programs about not just process addiction, but, um, you know, addiction in general and, and drawn some parallels between, you know, substance use addiction and, uh, you know, process and behavioral addiction. Um, can, you, can you give me a little bit of a rundown and give us a bit of a rundown as to, you know, what, what those last few years have looked like for you? Yeah, of course. Um, so Zach and I, we've been working together closely for the last three or four years, um, kind of started our our working friendship at, at the university, doing peer support for students um, at the University of Victoria. And we really, it was amazing to get the opportunity to work with Umbrella and, and start at Topaz Park. And uh, through our journey, we've made a lot of connections in the community and, and spent time working with kids and youth who struggle with uh, behavioral addictions, a lot of it surrounding technology use. Right. Um, but we spent time you know, talking in classrooms and speaking to parents and, and all these 
um, really amazing experiences coupled with our, our time at Umbrella has really opened our eyes to how similar we all are in, in the things um, that, that we use to cope, uh, the things we use to numb, numb out, and whether that's uh, a young you know, 15-year-old who dives into a video game for 20 hours a day because that's an escape, uh, and you know, compare that to someone who's using alcohol to numb out from from pain or or you know, life that that isn't going so well. Uh, we've really drawn a lot of similarities in in talking to these folks, and and it's really uh, been been a blessing to have these opportunities. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you guys do a really good job too at highlighting. Um, you know, the, the parallels between the two and, and that really addiction is addiction. And it, like you say, it's, it's a, you know, a way to cope with, uh, with, you know, that the reality, you know, that, that we're facing, um, can you kind of dive in a little bit more into, you know, let us know like, what, what your philosophy is and what you've, you've seen in the parallels that you have drawn? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, essentially, uh, with myself, as I was kind of going through my struggles, mainly with uh, with eating behaviors and like disordered eating and things like that, uh, it felt very chaotic, uh, which is something that we find talking to people with all sorts of addictions, especially working with youth and, and young kids like we've, you know, talked to kids in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, parents, there's a lot of confusion and, and just uncertainty as to why you know, we're doing these behaviors that are really harmful for ourselves. Um, but essentially, as I came out of my own struggles and started to kind of understand what my triggers were and what the things that were causing me to to do these things that were really harmful to myself, um, was really taking a look at like, what needs I was trying to meet by doing those behaviors. Right. And, you know, looking at behavioral addictions, or substance use addictions, I know that there's a lot of stigma around you know, like just, you just got to stop or there's certain mm. people that don't have the same relationship that can, can manage their use and, and do the exact same behaviors, but are able to just, you know, give it up when it's becoming harmful and others just can't. And for myself that really looked at like, what is the need I'm trying to meet? Mm. Um, so one thing that we introduced to a lot of people that has been received very well through kids, through youth, through adults that we work with is, is looking at like, you know, we as humans all have a, a huge amount of needs that we need to meet to feel healthy and fulfilled in life. And a lot of the needs that center around addiction are like connection, safety, um, you know, just like things like that. So, so safety could be safety in your own head. Like mm. you're dealing with thoughts that are coming up from past traumas or past experiences. And it's so loud and, and scary and dark that you just need to get away. A lot of people are coping with substances or behaviors just to just to silence or nullify that feeling in them. Um, connection as well, like, you know, loneliness, boredom, feeling like maybe you're living out of alignment with yourself and, and you just have needs that aren't met for myself. Like it was really centered around like love and connection. Mm. So uh, I think, too, something that's, you know, being important for us to highlight as well is. It's, it doesn't always have to be these huge events and these huge feelings of being unfulfilled. Right. Like I personally felt fulfilled in, in a lot of areas of my life, but I had a sense that I just didn't have like my, my need to feel valued and desirable and, and loved uh, was, was not really met, not because it wasn't out there in my life, but just because I wasn't able to accept that for myself. 
And what I noticed after getting out of my own struggle was that I would feel this insecurity and this sense of, of discomfort with myself. And then I would like binge eat because I basically just wanted to drown out my feelings of feeling insecure. Right. And ultimately the reason that my specific struggle was with food rather than substances or something else was because I also had a belief that if I was just like skinnier, then I would be more desirable. Right. So when we look at behavioral addictions, there's all these needs that we have that are met maybe at different points in our life or haven't been met at any point in our life. And we're trying to meet them in any way we know how. And when we're not really conscious of what those needs are, it's easy to just incessantly do something that's trying to meet that need over and over and then throw in our own beliefs and things that we've been taught about ourselves. Like for some people, you know, you watch your parents maybe like use substances to cope. Maybe that's your path or different ways. Everyone's learning from each other and different beliefs kind of guide us in different directions. Um, And that's kind of the base philosophy that we're coming from. Right. I think, I think that using the the needs focused philosophy as well is is really helpful in humanizing addiction as you know a really human struggle that it's something that you know we as as people are are trying to cope just as anybody else in the world is trying to cope and maybe some of us have just been dealt a hand that we have learned uh, a you know, maladaptive or harmful way to cope with these things, unlike other folks who may have more advantages or, or you know, more tools. Um, and it can be really challenging too with the, the need that we're meeting. I think a good example of this is when talking about young people and, and technology is for some folks, online is where their entire social life is and and the video games that they play for example maybe is where all of their friends are and so uh, you know it can be really challenging as a parent to try and control someone's life and in that aspect of their life where that is the only place they're meeting their need and i think some other uh folks in the podcast may have touched on like when we don't know any other tools and that we don't have any idea of other ways to cope. And this is the only thing, the only option, um, you know, having your parent come in and tell you to turn off the, you know, the Xbox, it might seem really trivial, but if, you know, you're able to get down to the core of it, it's actually like a really deeply personal thing for people. Um, and like, I think both me and Zach, we, we were, you know, fortunate. We, we kind of grew up, at least for myself, um, maybe a bit before the technology boom and, you know, was still playing outside and had, uh, you know, VHS tape and cassette tapes and stuff and before YouTube and Facebook. But, you know, in our experience working with young people now that, you know, is part of their life sometimes from day one and, and parents are, you know, also modeling by being on their phones instead of spending time with their kids or, parents who work from home on the computer it can be really confusing i i've had my own struggles with with tech use and and managing uh my own behaviors especially in a way that affects my sleep and in my ability to you know get up and and go to school it really um was really challenging and confusing because yeah on one hand this 
uh, was meeting a deeply human personal need of mine. And on the other hand, it was also damaging my life and, and really impacting me in a negative way. And that I think is, it can be really hard, especially if you draw parallels to like, for example, I, I know in, in addiction and with substances, sometimes we feel that the only people that understand us are people that are using or living in the same places or have lived the same life. And that can keep us in, you know, those spaces that are dangerous or, you know, with people that are, are toxic. Um, but it's the only thing we know. Hmm. And that is a, a really high barrier to kind of finding that path to healing. So in, in, in terms of like behavioral addictions, another experience that Zach and I have is running the behavioral addiction support group through Umbrella. Right. And, and we kind of created this group as a way to capture the wide net of people that have found themselves switching to other behaviors or other substances after getting sober. Uh, I think a really common example of that is alcohol and sugar. Um, it, it's, and, and we've worked with people that struggle with gambling, with pornography, uh, with video gaming, with shopping or yeah, shoplifting. Shopping's a big one. Of, yeah. Especially yeah. In, in recovery, early recovery. Yeah. And like, you know, the, the, the nice thing about having a group like this, even though there's so many different backgrounds is that when we talk about this needs based perspective and philosophy, I, I think everybody has been able to resonate with it and, and really uh, feel that even though it's individual, the needs that we're using or the, the needs that we have that we're trying to meet with the addiction, um, that it is human need that we're trying to meet is a, a really, I think, a common ground between all of us. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the, the universal kind of, you know, key to this, right? And and also to the... Um there is a sense that whether regardless of how it's manifesting mm -hmm. it's you know the, the the issue is is still kind of at the core is very consistent right and the interventions a lot of times are consistent you know like you're you know uh, i think tech is a very interesting one that you bring up because it's this almost cultural and societal um shift that we've seen i see it in my you know own 14 year old um where you know it's it's a promotion of of you know Kind of personal isolation and and a lot of behaviors um that you know are very uh you know synonymous with um addiction is kind of like uh promoted you know in in the new culture and unfortunately i don't see um kids getting out and connecting uh in real time or in, you know as as much anymore i don't see that that human connection right that and so that's i think that's a big challenge that we're really going to face do you guys see um you know because of this, do you think that that leads to more substance use addiction or ad, ad, like addiction problems uh, down the road? Or do you think um, like, do you, do you see that that's kind of the course that people have or it may promote more substance use kind of maybe down the road for some of these young folks? Yeah, I mean, one thing that we have come across is is kind of thinking about how technology or whatever behavior you're using kind of ends up robbing you of the opportunity to learn other ways of coping with life and right. dealing with emotions, dealing with anxiety, dealing with discomfort, you know, like for instance, as an easy example, uh, when I was in university, you know, before everyone had cell phones, you're sitting there before class, you kind of got to make small chat. You got to like right. deal with the discomfort of being maybe being around people you don't know. 
Right. But once you have this device, you can just easily look at that and never have to push through that discomfort because you right. can, you have an escape right in your pocket. Yeah. So uh, one of the effects of that, I think, is that you don't really learn or you don't have to push yourself to try and figure out how to become comfortable in those situations. Right. And I think with technology as well, it's, it's not going to be the case for everybody, but also these these services that we're using and, and the things on technology are designed to hook people, you know, and to right. bring people in and, and use that addictive pathway that people develop to bring them back in and use this product more so that those companies can make money. Right. It's by design. It's totally by, yeah. by design, like very using behavioral psychologists to create the most, you know, the most grabbing product possible. Right. And this is for like kids, youth, adults, everybody. Right. So I think in a way you're like training yourself to have that, you know, that, that quick need for gratification, right. yeah. which is really common in addiction. And I think you're also removing your need to try and you know feel a sense of peace without having something stimulating you constantly Mm -hmm. there's so many different things that technology takes away from living a life in in sobriety i guess in that way right that maybe when you start to get these same experiences from substances if you're starting to experiment when you're older those pathways have already been kind of created for you. Yeah, right? the pathways yeah. are created, and they might be a little bit different, so I'm not sure, like, the total connection. Right. Um, but I also think that, you know, depending on the needs that you were meeting with technology, for instance, like, I know that a one thing that I think we've seen a lot with working with youth with technology struggles is, like, sense of self-competence is really huge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to a, to a parent, like, I've had this conversation with multiple parents they're kind of like, you know, they're they're really good at this video game, but like that's not life. That's not real life. Right. But maybe, you know, like everybody needs to feel confident and or competent in their life and right. confident. And if you, you know, don't feel like you fit in at school, maybe you don't have like some people it's sports, some people mm-hmm. it's like school and classes and mm-hmm. they do well in that. For others, maybe they just don't feel like they have that space. And they go and but kick ass so at Fortnite good. or something. Yeah, right? They're so good yeah, at these games. Totally. And then to them, that is their sense of competence, right? Right. And it's not it's not unfair, and it's it's totally it's great to have that competence met in some way in that. Right. But it depends if that's being devalued, how healthy that's being. If you're if you're able to then take that sense of competence and use it to encourage you to expand into right. other areas of your life, so you can find balance. Right. But if you only have that one sense of competence, then when that gets taken away, you're left with nothing right and then you try to find that elsewhere or you maybe have spent all your time investing in using technology and then you try and go build a social life or step out in in other areas and you just feel so anxious because you've never had those pressures that you've had to deal with right which i think you know when ultimately like with any substance or any addiction when you have when you have that void or that pain in you when you find something, whether that's a behavior or a substance that seems to take that away, it's relief, right? You're going to grab that you're onto like, it. Right. Yeah. 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 Like you're going to grab onto it and be like, Oh, this is, you know, this is helpful. Right. And it's not necessarily going to be long term, but in the moment it feels good. So I think definitely it reinforces or, or supports that kind of developing more in the future, which is a pretty scary thing. Right. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, you, and you brought up something, you know, it's, it's that balance that we're looking for. Right. And I think it's that imbalance is, you know, putting so much into one thing and creating that imbalance, which is really, you know, when we're talking recovery, that's, you know, always what we're pumping is trying to find that balance in your life. Right. And whenever, you know, if someone's always like, I don't know if I have a problem, you know, and I, with, you know, substances, let's say, um, I always look at it. What are you using the substance for? Is this a, is this a coping mechanism? Are there health, you know, are there healthy practices surrounding it? Um, you know, frequency, is it, you know, what's it taking away in your life? So I think with behavioral addictions, it's the exact same, right? It's, uh, what's, you know, what's it costing you? Um, where's, where is it creating an imbalance in your life? Is it becoming the focal point, you know, and, uh, you know, um, and are you using it to cope? Cause I think at the end of the day, that's, you know, I think that's, that's a such a key piece, right? If, if we're using this as a tool to cope with reality, well, that's that's troubling, right? That's getting you down a, a path that you probably don't want to be down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think too with in terms of the like the whole coping mechanism idea with with behavioral addictions, like it's a fine line um, for some people between like a passion, something that mm. you're really interested in, you're really invested in, um, and something that is actively harming you because I think it's true that you know both for substances and behaviors like you you know we can meet people that party every single weekend at university and when they need to they can just stop and Mm -hmm. that's it and they don't have an issue um and then same with with video games or you know uh, pornography is a very normal thing for people to watch and and for some like these parts of our life are are just things that get us a little bit of relief and then we go about our day and go back to work and go back to school and live our lives and have relationships but it's when it impacts your ability to do those things i i often think of um especially with young people like our our sleep and our our eating Mm -hmm. um because i know like some some folks I've worked with who struggle with with video game uh, problematic gaming, it's that they don't sleep anymore. Right. They they stay up all night. Their bedtime is six a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, for two hours. They don't eat. They don't cook for themselves. Um, and and you know that's different than someone who just really likes video games. Like right. they they can go and come home from work and game and then make dinner and go to sleep and go to work on time. And that's right. very different from someone who's um, unable to take care of themselves or unable to meet the responsibilities of life, especially as you you grow older. And that can be like such a, a challenging and and painful thing for for parents to to watch. Uh, when you're, you know, your kid is, um, you know, it feels like they're, they're throwing away opportunities in, in favor of these games, but that's where, again, Zach and I would bring in the, well, what are they getting out of it? Like, Mm -hmm. why, why do they need this so badly that, you know, they're, they're stuck for hours and hours for the rest of the day. And it, it usually is. Yeah. That there's some underlying thing that they're trying to cope with or escape from that is really, uh, you know, part of the, part of the issue. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, parents are always coming at it from such an emotional, they're so emotionally invested in their, you know, kids livelihood and their kids happiness. Mm -hmm. And so when they see it not going well, they're drawing conclusions. And a lot of times it comes from a place of not understanding as well. So I I love how it, you know, you're kind of saying, Hey, we got to look at this from a point of curiosity, essentially, and try to dive a little bit deeper into it, which I mean, hard, hard to do. I, I mean, uh, you know, and as far as, 
interventions? Like what's the, what, how do you, how do you kind of start that conversation? Um, because like, do you, do you kind of have the same approach for, you know, every, you know, for everybody? Like, it seems like you have kind of a consistent approach. What is your, you know, if, if we're looking at tackling, you know, any kind of form of addiction, what's, what's your guys approach as to like coaching people through this? Yeah. I mean, I think what has, has come up with, uh, presenting our, our needs perspective. Like we have this huge sheet that we, we got originally from a counselor that we were working for, um, that we share with just like all your needs, like all human needs, you know, it's not comprehensive that you could have more if you feel that one is yours, but starting there as, as a way of trying to understand maybe what, what you were trying to do with your addiction gives you as well a roadmap into figuring out where you might be able to aim your healing. So if you're noticing that, you know, your addiction is really centered, like for myself around, around feeling lovable and and desired, then trying to do work on myself in ways that is going to directly approach that need is a great path towards healing. Right. So when we're talking about the different resources that we connect people with and outreach, you know, that could look like counseling, right? That could look like support groups that could look like talking to friends that could look like going to treatment. Ultimately at the end of the day, all of those can be means to healing. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when you become more conscious of the patterns that are involved in your own addiction, then, you know, for myself, I was able to like, that includes behavioral st- like structural changes like you know for me like peanut butter was something i could not have in my house really you know and it was just like i would just i would eat like i would just binge it really hard and i just could not have it right so it's like without doing any work emotionally or about my beliefs about myself and my feelings about myself structural changes like routine those are Mm -hmm. huge for everybody right and that includes you know with technology things like setting up you know, like if you, if you're struggling with tech use and you have your phone beside your bed, right. you're going to go on it way more than if you keep it in another room. Right. So there's different structural changes that I think like what the model that we bring in for healing from addiction, uh, in our presentations is, is using a, a tree. So we have the leaves of the tree being the behaviors. Sure. So that's kind of where, like you're saying, we can recognize how, we have all these different behavioral expressions of our beliefs and our long held emotions. Hmm. So like the trunk of the tree is our beliefs about ourselves and our beliefs about others and our place in the world. And then the roots is the emotions, like the feelings that we have, whether that's like, you know, feeling unworthy or not feeling good enough or feeling like we don't deserve something. And just having those really deep seated emotions that seem to inform how we think about ourselves and then also how we act right so i think looking at it on those levels you can change structurally like behaviors setting up structure for yourself going to meetings doing these things talking to people putting like tracking you know urges all these things that kind of approach behaviors also if there has been big like single events or several events or different beliefs that we have about ourselves like that feeling of unworthiness for myself Mm -hmm you know, that I, I, I did go to counseling to try and kind of figure out, you know, where that's coming from in myself. A lot of that is also like a emotion that sat within me right. that I have to like practice releasing. Right. So it's like, do I agree with it? Can I show myself a different truth for myself? 
and that can come through like trying to meet those needs in healthy ways Mm. and and what i've found with my own struggles is like and what i think we say a lot in our presentation is you know if if you're if you're doing something that's truly meeting a need i don't think you can get addicted to it right because then you'll be fulfilled right and if it's not meeting your need in truth then you will it's it's more easy or like it's you're more able to get addicted to it because you're just going to incessantly use it and it's not ever going to actually it's never going to really right right so it's yeah and i guess that's you know that that goes with substances that goes with all you know that it's it's there's an illusion that it's that it's solving your problems but we know that that's not the case or there's it's not sustainable you're you're having to you know continue to to dive down that path huh interesting yeah. Un, unmanageable and and i think it's where it, like in terms of the path to healing and and like treatment or interventions it, it also gets really complicated because with behavioral addictions abstinence isn't always possible um, nor is it the goal necessarily like it's right. like you know using zach's example with with food like we can't abstain from food um if someone struggles with video gaming you know you can't exactly just as a 15 year old throw away your computer and never touch it ever again because it's an essential part of our lives it's right. integrated into our work into our school um and that abstinence is uh, I think one difference maybe between substances and, and behavioral addictions right. and and it can be um, challenging to you because the the recognition of substance use uh, as as an addiction is um, you know widespread and there's still a lot of work to do of course but there is supports out there for it but in terms of behavioral addictions like we we found that it, it's kind of mostly online pockets of support groups or Zoom groups like ourselves that we run, mm-hmm. um, individual counselors, which often cost money. Right. There, you know, is is uh, a lot of challenges to finding appropriate resources for people. Um, and that's where, you know, I think smart recovery is great because they really uh, take a broad approach to healing and, and smart recovery has like a, a maladaptive sexual behavior group and and they do like are very open to these things. There's, you know, SLAA, like uh, Sex and Love Addictions Anonymous that are run a 12 step group as well. Um, there, there is different like pockets. But then in terms of like the self work that we have to do, as Zach was talking about, it really is like a lot of self-reflection and being ready to like, I guess, admit or be truthful with ourselves that, that there is an issue. And just like step one, like the admitting that there is something wrong and, and, you know, there, there is uh that's kind of where we all have to start where regardless of what we're using behavior or substance. Right. Yeah. And you know, and I think you bring up a good point, it's obviously a lot more tangible um, when we're speaking of substance use challenges right it's more tangible it's more recognized it's uh, more recognizable you know as well uh there's the the physical attributes that that kind of go along with it um it is a lot harder and and i'm sure too that this it's hard with stigmas as well to you know admit that you've got problems to to certain things that that some people might not even recognize as an addiction you know or or really understand or 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 validate right so that's got to be hard and like you say there's there's less interventions out there kind of built in so you have less less infrastructure to to kind of work with. Um, but you're totally right. The, you know, recognizing it at first is, is huge. And you're kind of feeling like recognizing and and figuring out what, what needs are not being met is, is kind of the way that that you start that approach. Is that kind of the, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I think that behavioral and, and those structural changes can be maybe a good first step because for myself, I didn't I didn't know what need I was trying to meet and it felt totally chaotic. Mm. And it was actually more the behavioral changes like making sure I ate a solid breakfast okay. and not fasting for half the day to try and like get a leg up on not eating. Right. That was a huge change that pretty much instantly allowed me to start having instead of these like huge swings of not eating and then eating a ton I started to kind of narrow that in right so different things like that because they're obviously you know the needs perspective fits within biology biological perspectives as well like mm -hmm. you know for myself I feel like with eating when you fast your body craves food and nutrients right, right? so it's like there's a there is a biological need to then eat a lot or to eat to give yourself energy that you're missing right and i think the same with you know when you when you take time off any addiction often there's like a, a binge or a like that's a very common pattern in a lot of addictions right uh, so i think that can be you know a an important start is to look at different ways to set yourself up so you even have the space to consider what needs you're trying to meet because oftentimes with any addiction it's so it's so frequent that anytime you're maybe forced to confront yourself or confront what you're doing and how you're living, uh, you're just stuck in this habitual survival mode kind of where you don't really have the, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to have the presence to reflect and notice the emotions that are coming up. Mm -hmm. So I think that giving yourself space to do that is really valuable and, and really important. Um, which can, you know, that's something that treatment offers people is like, and detox and things like that. Yeah. I think also, um, you know, with, with substance use, we do see a lot of people that switch to other addictions Absolutely. and that's not to say that that's a bad thing because for instance, if you're, if you're addicted to something that's impairing your ability to think and like your cognition, then if you switch to something like sugar, you know, it's not, it's not that we're going around encouraging people to switch okay. addictions, but okay. if you do, you're if you're you know if you're eating too many sweets you still are mentally able to think right. for a couple hours after you eat right. and like process not that you can't do that under substances but it's just it's less likely to lead to it's kind of like that harm reduction approach right yeah. so it still might be you still might be buying into an addiction but you know it's a, a less harmful addiction as far as you know health and, and otherwise yeah and i think in terms of like stigma and and talking about these things uh it can be it's definitely not recognized or in terms of like the medical community and in psychology like um a lot of the research like the only diagnosable behavioral addiction is um gaming disorder uh, internet gaming disorder and they're you know very um, careful about calling these behavioral problems or problematic behaviors addictions. Um, but it, it is really interesting because when we talk to people about these behaviors as addictions, it, it really resonates with mm -hmm. uh, a lot of folks and, and it, it can be really challenging when, you know, you're talking about like, yeah, I, I struggle with, uh, eating disorder. I struggle with pornography use. Um, it, it's, because it's not as recognized, a lot of people really do weigh like heavily into the the camp of like, oh well, like you can just stop. Like it's no, it's so silly. Why would you keep doing that mm -hmm. to yourself? That's the same thing that people experience who use substances. Sure, um, but maybe even you know in a different way with 
with eating and porn and, and gaming, uh, the, like, as Zach was saying, the biological, the, uh, neurological, like power of the cravings and the, the intense like needs is not recognized that like you could really have, I mean, it makes sense that you have cravings for food. Uh, I think that's totally understandable. And then when you kind of look at that in terms of a substance, like, oh, like our brain learns that the substance is like food or water or breathing. And that's why we struggle to stop is because our brain has been trained to think of it as essential. Hmm. Um, and then when, yeah, if you feel like pornography is the only way that, that you can kind of de-stress um, anytime that you feel stressed out, that, that really brain wired connection is going to tell you this is what you need right now. Right, right. Um, and I, I appreciate what Zach brought up in terms of the chaos of, of not understanding it. Cause I, you know, truly didn't understand why I was online so much and why I couldn't like just uh, stop and go to bed. But it, over time uh, and really you know, self-reflecting and understanding uh, it took years of, of time to really get, get down to it. And at the end of the day it was, yeah, the behavioral changes at first, like, um, keeping distance from the things that trigger me, uh, that really, really helped. But yeah, talking about it openly Absolutely. is so, so hard, like truly, because if you're going into, um, like professions or you're, you're trying to, to get work and, and talking about this, uh, outside of outreach, I think outreach and peer support is really amazing because of the ability for the outreach worker and the the peer and the client to like share that experience together without judgment yeah. and and like in a confidential I, space right? yeah 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 and hearing for the first time like so many times you, you know talk to people and and you say like yeah i i struggle with this behavioral addiction and then the other person will be like wow like i've never heard anybody tell me that uh, mm. or like i've never talked to anybody about that um, it really does break down, break down those walls. So finding peer support, I think, is one one way that we can kind of tackle the the stigma of of it all. Right. Um, and that's yeah, a really amazing part about Umbrella. Mm-hmm. You know what? And I mean, that's when we're talking recovery and, and you know, for substance use, it's always you know disclosure and talking to people right and getting it over our heads because when it's in our heads and it's that seek you know that secrecy piece you know i think that just you know it it gives it power it gives our addiction power and mm-hmm. and it's it's being able to uh talk about it and get it out of our heads that's so important right you know when we're talking about triggers and cravings and and like you say it is harder and it's it's you know with the stigma is different for for behavioral addiction someone you know saying oh i've got a sex addiction well that's that has a, a whole bunch of different connotations uh you know and, and and might they might not feel like they have that safe space to uh you know uh get this stuff out and talk about it and and help analyze it and take the power away of this addiction right so um i think that's that's a really key piece and and i, I agree with you i think that's one of the the benefits of that having, yeah, one-on-one, someone that you can actually just, you know, let down your guard and, and talk to, right? So um, I guess we need more of it, but I, I think it is hard. And I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with is, yeah, not being able to feel like they can share about it. You know, as you know, that's such a key intervention, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really difficult, especially because people like to go based off quantity and experiences sure. of like, you know, it's like, oh, I watch porn every day. Does that mean I have a problem? Right. And it's like for some people, they're like, no, definitely not. That's totally their experience for other people. So what we what we try and center people back on is like 
how are you doing? Right. You know, like, are you in, are you content? Are you fulfilled with, with your life? Mm. And if you are, then great. But a lot of times, you know, even with the youth that we work with that are like seven, eight, nine years old, they're like, I don't like what technology does to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're aware of the negative effects already. Right. And I think what, what you're talking about too with, you know, with parents being obviously really emotionally invested in their kids, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult because what I've found working, you know, supporting people with various addictions is that it's everybody's own game, right? Like everyone mm-hmm. needs a lot of support and nobody can do it alone. But at the end of the day, everybody needs to find their own reason, their yeah. own motivation to, to go on that journey. And it can't be forced on people. And it can't be for any, anybody, right? It's got to be for yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, you can, you can make it work for a little bit if you're going for other reasons, but it seems like the most like tenable and the most, I guess, the most sustainable way is to really have it be motivated by yourself. And that's a really difficult thing when when you don't feel like you have the sense of self-worth to put that energy in for yourself or that you don't deserve that space. And I think it's also really difficult as someone supporting, like, you know, when when we're supporting adults, like, I, I personally have to, like, have some sense of patience and mm-hmm. just trusting that, you know, like, this person is going to continue to struggle, but at some point... I hope that they can find that space in them that calls them to to make that change and and give themselves a better life. Yeah. And it's really hard with youth because and adults because you know that the path of addiction is painful and going to lead to a lot of harmful things. Mm-hmm. But you also can't you know just take someone and force them to change. Right. Yeah. So it's like uh one of the difficult things with youth is you know, how can you, especially with parenting, because it's a little bit differently, like you, you can impose structural changes, you can do these things that, you know, you have to guide your kids in different ways. So how do you help someone realize that they are worthy of better for themselves? How do you help someone connect to that space in them that wants to make those changes and wants to build a better relationship with themselves where, Yes, they're going to have to deal with painful and uncomfortable emotions, but it is going to be worth it because they can hopefully trust that on the other side is is something that's, you know, beyond what they're currently living with right. by just right. constantly distracting. Right. And, you know, for a lot of people, unfortunately, that takes like a, a hospital visit that really shakes yeah, things up. A wake up call. You know, yeah. for me, like I was, you know, I was purging a lot and like until I saw the physical signs on my teeth. I, I wasn't really that motivated to stop because being skinny was more like more desirable than being healthy to me. Right. And until I saw that physical sign of like, Oh shit, I'm doing some real damage. Yeah. I didn't stop. Right. And for a lot of people, it's like a doctor being like, you need to stop, you know, and getting those real big wake up calls. How's that? Like, how can we facilitate that happening earlier for people? Right, I think right. it's kind of like uh, my thought as as an outreach worker, as someone supporting people, right. because I think that space is in everybody and mm. we all come in and out of connecting it, connecting to it. Mm. Um, but it is difficult because sometimes that means like like Emmett and I's experience, like, you know, it takes a long time to figure out what was causing or what was the root of these things for ourselves, like what right. what narratives really drove that. And how we can make those shifts, and it's not this fast, 
unlike addiction, which is just constantly seeking that really quick hit. Right. Like it's, it's a long process that's up and down and delayed and goes sideways sometimes and yeah. is, is confusing. It's messy. Yeah. yeah. Really right. messy. So right. that's a, that's a difficult part of, of thinking about interventions, yeah. but also, you know, finding that, like Emmett's saying, like finding those connections of people that have come into those spaces. Like for my mom, it was myself and my sister. Like, you mm-hmm. know, she shared with me a story of watching, like she was a treatment and she watched us get driven away by my grandparents. And she knew in that moment, like if she didn't get her, like get this under control, that she was going to lose us. Right. And that moment is like that etched in her mind. Yeah, and right. that's been ultimately her driving force for her whole sobriety right and that was those, the x factor yeah essentially we are all yeah and it's like everybody needs some sort of cause because it's not going to be all joyful and fun mm-hmm. like life never you know yeah. it's going to be a lot of things and there will be joy but it's ultimately just finding a reason that it that it's worth it right and that can be something different for everybody but i think that's a big part of you know finding a, a successful intervention is like finding a purpose yeah and a reason right yeah i mean i think that's i think that's brilliant and i think you know there's so much discussion always about early intervention and we need more early intervention and you know we definitely need more but i think you're totally right we got to rethink how what that intervention looks like right you know um we know like the the dare tactics don't work the scare tactics don't work so i i kind of agree with you how do we tap into um, you know, what's making these young folks tick, what's making it worthwhile, what's making life, you know, wh- where, where's their place in life. Right. And, and, and where are those needs and, and are they being met? Yes. I think it's great. I, you know, hopefully there's, you know, you guys should look at, you know, making some sort of program at some point. Mm-hmm. I think early intervention, like I said, and it does, it crosses so many different lines. Being a kid and growing up is really, really difficult and it's always changing. I think the biggest issue that we have a lot of times too is the parents are looking back and they're putting their own um, experiences as the playing field. The playing field is completely different. It's always changing. And I think that's, you know, an age old problem. Um, But I think, you know, like you say, there's something a little bit more universal about what you guys are speaking to. And, you know, I'm with you. I think that if we're talking early intervention, because that would also cross so many different lines, it doesn't need to just be about substance use. It doesn't need to, you know, self-worth and, and, you know, uh, what you're doing here, you know, mm-hmm. kind of asking those bigger questions a little earlier on. I think our kids can handle it. You know, I think a lot of times the kids, they don't want to be told what to do, you know, and we kind of get into that. And I find as a parent, even I get into that mode of telling, you know, and, and you're totally right, you know? So anyways, I think that, I think there might be something there, you know, fellas, I think, you know, great. One day you get some program, you know, to actually get to schools. It's, it's great that you're, you're taking that, that time, you know, to, you know, to even get that ball rolling and, um, you know, we're kind of, I think, get get into the get into the, the tail end here. You know, obviously, there's there's so many challenges. Um, you know, we've kind of spoke to the challenges of, of behavioral process addiction. You know, and how that does differ um, uh, from you know substance use. That that there really aren't a lot of supports out there. What do you you know? What would you guys say if if you know someone came to you or if, or if you have a client that you know or someone comes into the behavioral support group for the first time? You know, what what words of wisdom do you do you try to impart if you have to you know do the the elevator speech uh, <laughs> essentially on on you know where you at? Do you have any kind of? Well, I I think kind of going back to the the humanizing 
part of the, the root of addiction is that like we're all people who are just trying to get by and there is something you know in us that maybe that wasn't fulfilled or maybe we're just in this chaotic spiral and we don't know where to start but the fact that you know you are here in this mm-hmm. group right now that you've asked for help or that you you know even just trying to talk to someone says to me that there's a part of you that thinks you're worth it right and that there's somewhere in you that thinks that you are deserving of getting help and if you show up to that group or even if you're like we always tell people like you can join a group um and just listen and mm-hmm. i know that's the same for like 12 step you can go in and just say hey i'm just going to be listening for today um, but the fact that you showed up, it, it really does tell me that there's some part of you in, inside that um, does feel self-worth. And, and I know it doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel like that at all, but, you know, you wouldn't be there if that wasn't the case. And you, you wouldn't be, um, you know, reaching out uh, and, and trying to figure things out if, if there wasn't some part of you that wanted to get better. Um, and just it. kind of fostering that little seed and, 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 you know, watering it and taking care of it and figuring out how to make it grow is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. As we're talking about, it's different for everyone, but, um, it's there. And, and mm-hmm. as Zach says, I think everyone has the capacity and it's in that there's that space somewhere inside of you of, of, you know, self-compassion and healing and, and that it is possible. Um, and whether you find that through online Zoom groups or, or through forums uh, online or, or talking to a counselor, like there is, there is support out there. Um, right. it, it is uh, just you know, a journey. It's a marathon, not a race, is what I say. Right. And you're totally right. You just doing anything is making a statement to yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Zach? Yeah, I think Emmett really covered it very well. You know, ultimately, like, we have a similar approach in that way. Like our message is really one of, of self-acceptance and just, you know, self-respect and trying to honor the people that are doing great work by trying to do better for themselves, Mm. you know, just show that, that we're here and we care, you know, there's a lot of, especially with different addictions that we find when people are coming in, maybe they've never talked to someone that really wants to hear them, you know, or show that they actually care about them just for the sake that they want them to be well. You know, so trying to really show people that that's where we're coming from and and how we feel and just having that sort of basic, like compassionate humanity. And then just, you know, as Emmett said, we're all just trying to trying to figure our stuff out. Mm -hmm. And if we can, you know, we can like, I guess, accept the ways that maybe we've tried and and understand that, you know, addiction often, I think for myself and for a lot of people is was a useful coping mechanism or is at some point Mm -hmm. like if you look at those pains and those traumas that lie beneath addictions they're often experiences that are too big for us to cope with right so we need something to just help us survive and looking at that as oh my addiction was actually serving me in that moment when it was too much Mm -hmm. and then now i do feel like I have the capacity to maybe process that and maybe go through, like work through it and and do that in counseling or something like that. Um, then I can, you know, take that part of me out of the driver's seat and start to reconnect with, with the part of me that wants to, you know, really cope and, and feel like content and healthy with, with the things that I've done and the way that I've lived and, you know, trying to, trying to just show people, you know, through all the beautiful people at Umbrella 
that have that that live as examples of that that change is possible that regardless of how old you are you can change the patterns that you've been engaging in you can change your behaviors you can change your feelings about yourself you know none of us are stuck mm. it, you, although it feels like it, it might right when yeah, you in have, the moment yeah. right yeah but when you have these no examples out. all around you of people that are you know like little beacons of hope it can right. just really start to start to push people in that direction and, and i think that's why support groups and things are so beautiful is that you get all these people you know at different stages of their own healing journeys and and they can serve as examples or as you know people to look up to building off each other's successes yeah right yeah yeah absolutely well, fellas, it's so funny. I, you know, I, I kind of say this at the end of every cast, you know, as soon as you get started, I think we could probably sit here all day or we could have, you know, multiple casts, you know, um, upon this and, you know, other aspects of addiction as well. And, um, I'm, I'm really, really grateful of all the hard work you guys have put in, um, just in our community, but also for umbrella. And, um, you know, it's really great to have been able to offer this, um, side of support, you know, like you said, that's, you know, very underserved. Uh, in our community, in our all culture, so and just uh, giving a voice to it, and I, I think you guys do a great job. I think your philosophy and presentation is something that's you know, uh, it, it's it's really something, and it's I think it's it's really groundbreaking in, in certain respects. So I really hope and encourage you guys to kind of you know keep up the charge, and because uh, it's it's uh, it's really valuable stuff. So I guarantee and uh, that you know this has resonated with folks, and so I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad that I caught you. I think you're off traveling tomorrow there, Zach. So, yep. you know, glad we got you before you took off here, guys. So yeah, anyways, right on. Like... Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. There you have it. Thanks again to Zach and Emmett for sharing their expertise on the nature of addiction, but on behavioral and process addiction. Uh, this is something that is not discussed and explored enough. And uh, those supports just aren't as indentured um, out there for folks. So, you know, I think it's really important um, that, People know that they're not alone, and that there are supports out there uh, for them, and that there are interventions, and that recovery is possible. Um, we've been pumping that a lot in this podcast, and I will continue to pump it. Recovery is possible. We have heard it uh, through the stories that we have shared uh, to this point, and uh, you know, just in my own personal experience, I've just seen so many success stories when people really put their minds to tackling um, their their issues. So, um, really excited. Uh, to keep on keeping on with this podcast. Thank you for making this a continued success. You will be hearing from me in a couple weeks time when I'll have another cast ready to go for you. Um, until then, I hope you have a great couple weeks. I hope wherever you are that it's sunny and warm and you're uh, able to get outside and enjoy nature and uh, um, this beautiful world that we live in. Uh, from Victoria, British Columbia, I am Blake Anderson. <laughs> <laughs>